G'day everybody, it's Craig Cobb here, your host, and this is This Week in Crypto. What a week it has been, huh? Man, it's been an absolute ripper. We've seen Bitcoin kick on pretty darn well, haven't we? I mean, look, we spoke about it quite a bit uh, throughout the week in the last couple of weeks on the podcast, the Tradicop Crypto Show on YouTube. So go and subscribe and get your notifications on. But we've been talking about how bullish it has looked. Of course, the halvening now, what is it? Three, four days away? Three days and 21 hours, 52 minutes. Right, bingo. We've got some upward momentum. Is it going to last? Hey, look, I don't know. What I can tell you though is it's very bullish. Higher high push through yesterday, of course, just shy of 10% in the gains department. Really hopeful to see us push on again today. Getting us clear of 10,000 would be a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. So what's been going on out there in the news cycle that you're going to want to know about? Well, let's go and have a look at some of the things that I pulled out and uh, think it's really worthwhile looking at. Elon Musk and Joe Rogan get together once again without without Elon Musk, or sorry, without Tesla's share price tumbling off a cliff. Yes, Elon Musk did go onto the Rogan show to uh, discuss problems with traditional currencies. Of course, they covered a lot of very detailed analysis of all sorts of different things, but they got down to the issues uh, surrounding currency at the moment with the quantitative easing and the subsequent printing of money. With Musk saying, the notion that you can just sort of send checks out to everybody and things will be fine is not true. Now that is in regards to the US government and the money they're sending out to their people. He also said, if you don't make stuff, there's no stuff. You can't just legislate money and solve these things in relation to the $2 trillion stimulus package that's going on over there in the US of A. And to all the US listeners, I hope you're well, I hope you're safe. And um, yeah, our thoughts are with you and the rest of the world, of course. But yeah, it's, it's now what's, what's good about this, right? What's good about this? Well, when we talk about an oversupply of anything, um, typically that would send that market into freefall. Uh, the dollar's not in free fall. Um, what it does do, though, is it, make, it makes you think, why is the law of averages, why, why is the, the law of supply and demand and, and uh, efficient market theories skewed for a currency? Just the one currency, too, mind you. It's the US dollar. Every other currency is weakening against the US dollar. It always seems to be the dollar that hangs in there as a, quote, unquote, safe haven, right? And if you have a huge amount of supply, then you would think that the value of that item would diminish. Well, as I said, not in the case of the USD. But what it does do is it starts to get people asking questions, starting to think about what other options have we got? What alternative uh, or what, you know, what other alternatives have we got? And then we come into the thing around this whole privacy, because we know that especially here in my country in Australia, the government's put forth an idea for us to all download an app on our phone, uh, to let us know if we've been within QE of a uh, coronavirus person or infected person. Now, what that does is quite simply, basically, just put us into a position where we have got to go ahead and download this if we want to get our freedoms back. Now, it's not compulsory, I know. But what they've said is that they're sort of dangling that carrot by saying, look, if you want to go and have a beer, if you want to go to the pub with your mates, and if you want to go to sporting events, download the app, Charlie Brown, and they need about 10 million people or 40% of the populace before it can actually work. Now, I'm all for, for something that can help society. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I am not a cloak and dagger type person, but I'm also not just going to believe everything that I hear. The 
risks associated with our privacy, and it's kind of a moot point to a certain degree, I believe, is because they can probably just go and buy the information off Facebook, Google, or you know whatever other things that we may be on. But it's a government that's not really had the best, um, I suppose, track record when it comes to talking, oh, sorry, when it comes to website or web development type things. Um, the websites are shut down many times. They've been hacked. There's been data stolen. And we've been given reassurances in the past that this certainly would not occur, and it has. So it's a it's a real big trust issue. Um, and trust and privacy, they're the two things that we've got. And with cryptocurrency, not just Bitcoin, of course, we've got other currencies that do have trust and privacy, things like Monero. We've got Bitcoin there as an alternative option to traditional currencies. Monero is there as a privacy one as well. We've got the conversation around trust, privacy, supply and demand all in one go on a massive scale with a massive audience. And it was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Is that good for the space? I hope you are asking yourself. The answer, in my view, is yes. So that's the first bit of news that I wanted to cover today. Um, on to, uh, that was on Coin Telegraph. on to mickey.com.au. Uh, US Senate considering blockchain-based voting due to COVID-19. Now, of course, this is not a new idea that's been out there. It's, it's out there for a while. There are various different voting platforms. Uh, one notably was an Australian business. I do not believe it's around anymore. If I'm incorrect on that, please do uh, reach out and let me know in the comments. Uh, I would like to know if they are still around. Uh, it was called Horizon State. Now, this is it makes perfect sense from a voting standpoint, doesn't it? Because it's trust. It is one vote, one person. It, 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 there's going to be some hiccups, no doubt, but it gives the opportunity to you know, stamp out that, um, that corruption element that may be circling uh, certain elections and results. It makes results pretty much you know, unflappable, which I think is a really good thing for democracy and society as a whole. It opens it up to many, many different opportunities as well. Be interesting to see what they do here. What they're saying is the uh, the subcommittee, they're actually looking at using, sorry, using blockchain in this crisis because, look, at the end of the day, they're going to have to work something out. There is an election coming up. I believe it's November, and I think they've got some voting thing, bits and pieces that are going on uh, before that. Now, I am not... Uh, that privy on U.S. politics and when they vote, I'm pretty certain it is in November for uh, the leadership there. But I think um, this is a really good option. It it allows people, if it's blockchain based as well, potentially to do this from the safety of their own home, the ease of their own home. And if we want to get more people voting, and I'm not sure if they want to do that or if they don't, I, I don't know how it all works. But seemingly makes it easier for people to get out there. And, uh, and get that going. Now, they've stated there are three conditions uh, for this rule to be passed. Uh, it says it must be reasonable, sorry, it must reasonably relate to the method of proceeding. It must not violate fundamental rights, whatever they are, and it must not ignore constitutional restraints. So there you go. Those of you who are out there trying to create a blockchain-based voting society, they are the three things you need to meet before you got to shoe in. Right, from mickey.com.au across to the Coindesk platform. And this, to me, is story of the week. The best, the biggest, and the um, one that touches my heart the most. The big dog, PTJ, Paul Tudor Jones. He's saying positive things about Bitcoin. <clears throat> he's also, <coughs> excuse me, he's also put himself down for maybe a single digit percentage. 
of the asset class that is Bitcoin. Now, I'm going to take you through a little bit here. It's a little bit of detail that might, you might need to listen quite closely here. But what I'm saying is this. The dude's managing $38 billion. If he puts 1% into Bitcoin and however he wishes to do so, if, it's a big if by the way, that's $380 million into the market. Now that's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. It's 1% of his portfolio. Now he's not a big hedge fund. He is a hedge fund. It is relatively big, but it is not behemoth, you know? The other thing I want to state on this is that when you've got somebody like Paul Tudor Jones coming out and doing this, it's really, really good because people listen to what this man says. Why do they listen to what this man says? Well, he started his hedge fund when he was 25 years old in 1980. He was called correctly the 1987 crash, uh, of course, which was the last um, complete obliteration of markets and massive recession. Uh, he, so he called that really well. He shorted the Japanese markets, uh, stock markets soon after and really made a very strong name for himself. Now, he's not necessarily a contrarian type investor. You know, he, he got it right on the crash, he got it right on the Japanese crash. But the guy is, he's good at picking things. Uh, for example, he picked gold in 1974 or 70, something around that period um, as it was becoming uh, digitized, futuritized. You know, when it was becoming something like what Bitcoin's done recently, which has become a futures traded uh, commodity, essentially. He picked gold then. Uh, it did very, very well and more than quadrupled over the next period of time. Now, I can go, I'll go down and have a look at that period in just a second. He's saying something similar for Bitcoin. Very, very big dog. Very, very interesting fellow. Very smart, very switched on. And with the eyes and ears and mouth that everybody wants to know what's thinking within them. Okay, so that's really, really good. Here you go. <clears throat> so he actually bought... Okay, so says, Bitcoin reminds Jones of gold in the 1970s, according to the letter. Through the early 70s, gold experienced an acute rally from $35 per ounce in 1971 to $180 in late 1974. Now, one of the things that's backed up uh, his um, more interest or more, um, his bullishness, I suppose, or his openness for Bitcoin is what the central bank's doing. Unprecedented central bank monetary policy amid the coronavirus crisis is a primary reason for Jones's interest in Bitcoin. What he referred to as the ongoing great monetary inflation left him, left him, a market veteran, speechless. It's unprecedented expansion of every form of money unlike anything the developed world has ever seen, Jones wrote to his clients. Now you combine this article, Paul Tudor Jones, with the voice to the millennials, more or less, uh, and, and more ranging than just millennials, by the way, Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, two big heroes out there. You know, Elon Musk, one of the best entrepreneurs in the world, probably the best of our time, best of my generation anyway. Um, and Joe Rogan, I mean, what a what a dude. Like the guy, he's grown his intelligence by speaking to people, uh, has a fantastic channel and he, he cuts down some pretty cool stuff. Like he's pretty controversial in what he does. You start combining these two massive sources. This is your retail. This is your institutional. Now they're saying the same things. What sits in the middle of that massive stimulus, uh, massive overinflation or massive inflation? Well, it might not be inflation, but you know what I'm saying. A massive inflation of the currencies that are hitting the world's pockets, essentially. And it's the perfect storm. Now, where to from here? Well, let's keep reading down. If you can see here, 
Gold, sorry, uh, financial assets. This is your subjective score basing on the grading of the ability to store value, okay? Now, this is the storing value. Now, here is what he said to this. Bitcoin came in at number four. Now, you might be turning there going, oh, it should be number one. It doesn't really matter what you think. This is what has been scored based on a system that Paul Trudeau Jones runs on the value of, uh, sorry, where to store value and the safety of that. What was surprising to me was not the Bitcoin came in last, but that it scored as high as it did. Its score, it's a, as a proportion of the other categories, was higher than the cryptocurrency's market cap as a proportion of the others. Something appears to be wrong here. Get this. And my guess is it's the price of Bitcoin. Well, let's hope he's right on this one. He's certainly no crypto nut, as he has stated just here. He's also no, you know, uh, hard money nut, as he says there as well. But looking at this, the, the coming digitization of currency everywhere in the world is accelerated by COVID-19 of falling into the lap of Bitcoin. This is his main reason for talking to Bitcoin as an asset class. Now, if you look down here, and the full report is here as well in Coindesk. So come and check out that article. I think it's, a really, it's the best article I've read in quite a long time, to be honest. So let me just take you through his little analogy and we'll wrap this puppy up. Many of you know my fondness for analogies. Bitcoin reminds me of gold when I first got in the business in 1976. Gold had just been produced as a futures instrument like Bitcoin recently. There you go. That's where I got my information from. Uh, and had enjoyed a heck of a bull run, almost tripling in price. It then corrected almost 50% in the nearly two years, similar to Bitcoin's 28-month 80% correction. You can see the similarities to the charts below. All right. Bitcoin. Now let's come down here and read this. But in the case of gold, it was a tremendous buying opportunity as gold went on to more than quadruple past the prior highs. The red line in the chart below is where we might be in Bitcoin today. Take that in. Now, if you are watching this, so if you're listening to this on a podcast and you want to see this chart, get across to coindesk.com and check that out. For any of the articles, of course, uh, Cointelegraph, mickey.com.au and Coinbase. Very, very good, of course. What's his name? Uh, that's forgettable. Peter Schiff must be rolling in his grave. He might, well, he's not in his grave. He must be having an absolute heart attack, the poor guy, because somebody who's smart and open-minded has, um, has come out with something that he doesn't like. And generally, Peter, that's when you lose your shit. Guys, have a great weekend. It's been a pleasure bringing this week in crypto to you. The markets are looking strong. I hope you're strong, safe, and well. And if you want to find out more about what I do and how I trade, go to tradercob.com. We've got webinars and free classes there. And it's all for free. Have a great day. Bye for now.